First Peter chapter four. And if you would, let's just let's just start reading um, verses eight, nine, and ten tonight. First Peter four, eight through ten. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now, this is an interesting passage and a wonderful passage. And Paul, uh, Peter speaks about above all, he says, above all to have this charity, this fervent love one for another. Now, everything that we have in this life, y'all, that's any good, okay, we've received from the Lord. Every grace, every blessing, every gift, everything that we have. The Bible says, what do you have that you didn't receive, right? Why would you boast, boast about something? Everything we have, we receive from the Lord. We understand that now because we're believers. We're Christians and, and that spiritual man has been uh, awakened and brought to life. But everything we have is a result of God's grace upon our lives. And the surest way to lose Anything. I'm not talking about losing our salvation, but the surest way to lose maybe a gift or a grace or, or a blessing from the Lord is to not use it. He desires for us that the gifts that He's given, He desires for us to use those for His glory. And He desires us to, to minister out of great godly love okay, for others. That's a very simple truth, but it's, it's very true. And if you're ever feeling, honestly, if you're ever feeling dry spiritually, if you're ever feeling kind of uh, sort of bland in your spiritual walk, kind of like stagnant in your spiritual walk, there could be a lot of things, but I can tell you one thing that is true. Begin to minister by faith to someone. Begin to counsel someone. Begin to teach somebody the Bible. Go witness and share the Gospel with somebody. Go give of your uh, money, give of your time, give of, give of yourself to another person and watch and see the Lord fill you back up. Amen. A lot of times we're waiting for the Lord to refresh us before we go and minister. And I think we have that backwards. He's already given to us and we're sinking down kind of into ourselves and sinking down into our feelings. And He says, I've already given you what you need. You go minister in my strength. You go minister in my power and you'd be amazed how quickly that river will start to, start to flow again from the Lord. That river living water filling us back up is never to be a stagnant pond. It's to be a river. And in order for it to be a river, we have to minister as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And so Peter's talking about love. And, you know, a lot of times we think of Peter as the rough, gruff, tough fisherman. You know, he's chopping off a servant's ear in the garden. Uh, on the night that Jesus is crucified and walking on water. And He was all those things. But don't forget, when Jesus rose from the dead and appeared to all the disciples, He had a special little meeting with Peter. Or a big meeting with Peter. And He said, do you love Me? And he talked to him three times about love. And it is when he, when he humbled the man and says, Lord, You know all things. After the third time, He says, if you love Me, feed My sheep. It's important to God. It's a testimony and it's a proof of our love for the Lord is our love for the body. And it's a love for God's sheep, Jesus' sheep that He died for, that we feed them and we minister to them. So it's not strange for Peter to be talking about love at all. 
Jesus dealt with him about it. And, and he says here to start the passage in verse 8, above all things. Okay? He's elevating this. He's making it very important. When, when the Bible does something like that, it's not saying that the other things are unimportant. For example, when it says that the greatest of these is love, then that means the greatest of these is love. But it does not mean that the other things are unimportant. It just the Lord's just saying He's elevating that. Okay, it's just like the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind. Doesn't mean the second one's not important. He's just putting that in the right place where it needs to be. And so He says, above all things, have this fervent love. Okay, uh, above all things, He says, have fervent charity or love among yourselves. That's among the Christian brothers. Okay. And so a lot of people talk about loving the world and we see it uh, in the churches where somebody's swept up and they, they want to go win the world for Christ. And I'm not at all belittling that. I thank God He puts it on men's hearts like Hudson Taylor and other people to win the world for Christ or to win China for Christ. All right, That's absolutely of the Lord. But I can promise you before that happens, there needs to be a love at, on the home front. There needs to be a love in our family. There needs to be a love in our church family and people in this body. And there needs to be a genuine love for believers around the world. That's our Christian brothers and sisters. It's not our church against their church. We're all part of His church. And He's the, he's the head of His church. Amen? And so, uh, a lot of times there's a lot of talk about love, but the love of God, can I tell you, is very practical as well. It's a very practical love. Jesus, the Bible says, when He was with the multitudes and they've been all day with Him, following Him all day, and He preached to them, He was moved with compassion. That's love, right? He was moved with it. What does that mean? He was moved to do something. The love of God is practical. They were hungry. They hadn't eaten all day. It was late in the day. It was too late to go find a place to, uh, to eat. They were out in the middle of the desert. There was no places anyway. If they were to disband the meeting and send them away, He said they might faint by the way. I don't know how far they walked. But Jesus had compassion upon them. The love of God is very practical. Okay? And the love of God is going to see... You know, James says, how do you say the, uh, the love of God dwells in you? Or, or John, you know, when you see your brother naked or destitute and you have what's able to meet their need and you don't do it, you shut up your bowels of compassion. The love of God is not just flowery poetry okay, that people write songs about. We do write songs about it, but the love of God is very practical. And I think a lot of times in, in all of our lives and in a lot of circles, there's a lot more talk about the love of God than a real display of the love of God. Amen? And it's something we learn. It. We learn. It's something we grow in. We grow in that. We grow in our love for God and we grow in our, um, I guess, the expression or the attaining of God's love that we're able to love others with. You know, you know that. We understand that. But so, uh, love of God is not just, uh, it's not just, as I said, poetry and all this kind of flowery talk. God, God would have us to love. But beloved, don't love in tongue, word and tongue, but in deed and in truth, James says. Don't love in, in tongue and in word, but in deed and in truth. And the love of God is going to express itself to like an object of love. Our love for God is going to express itself back into the Lord. Okay? Our love for uh, the church and people, specific people with names and faces in the church is going to express itself 
and praying for them and how are you? Can I pray with you? God put you on my heart. You know, uh, financial blessing for somebody that's, that's struggling. Whatever it may be, helping them move. Uh, furniture, whatever it is, it's going to express itself. And, you know, you see that in the Bible that uh, you remember when, when David, I forgot the exact battle and I didn't look it up, but he's fighting and he says, oh, I wish I had a well, a, a drink of water from the well back in, you know, uh, Jerusalem or Bethlehem. And some of his soldiers, simply because their king said that, three guys break through enemy lines and go fetch a bunch, a cup of water or a bucket of water, break back through enemy lines to bring it to their king. It just shows how it's expressing itself. Love is expressing itself. Love is going to express itself like the woman with the alabaster box of ointment. It was very expensive. Could have been sold for a lot of money. Could have been the money could have been used for the poor. Everybody looking down their noses at her, but in her expression of love and worship to the Lord, she's doing that because she loves her Savior. Okay, so we see that. And um, love. What does it mean? This is an interesting um, scripture here, where he says in verse uh, nine. Well, the end of verse 8, I'm sorry. For charity or love shall cover the multitude of sins. You ever read that before? That's actually from a, a, a rough paraphrase from Proverbs 10, verse 12, where it, it says that love shall cover the multitude of sins. We're going to talk about what it means and what it doesn't mean. Again, you have to put all Scriptures in comparison to other Scriptures in the Bible. Love is not just some blanket where it washes away people's sins. The blood of Jesus does that. Okay, So let's talk about what does the author, what does the Holy Ghost mean through this passage here that love covers a multitude of sins. This is, this is like not the person who's loving. This is, this is the person who, let's say that, um, you know, um, Peter's ministering to my life. I've committed some sin. And he's aware of it. It's his love for me that's going to help cover that sin. He doesn't take the place of God and forgive my sins and erase it and wash it away as though it never happened. Okay? But let me give you a wonderful example. You know in the Bible where the account of Noah and the ark, we talk about it all the time. It's an amazing, it's really an amazing thing that happened there. The whole earth, you know, it was a, a, a a huge thing that happened there. But after the flood, the waters receded. Noah and his family, the eight people that were saved and all the animals come off the ark and he plants a vineyard. And the vineyard grows and God makes His covenant with Abraham to replenish the earth and so forth. And He promises to never flood the earth. Well, He sinned after that. Doesn't mean He missed heaven, okay. But He was a man and He sinned. The Bible doesn't try to cover it. He planted a vineyard. He got the grapes from it. He made wine. He drank till he got drunk. That's what the Bible says. He drank and became drunken. It was wrong. I'm not saying, well, maybe drinking was okay in that day. No, it was wrong. It was a sin. And so Ham walks in. One of his sons, they're grown sons. They have their own families. He walks in and he sees his father naked. And it could have, I'm sure it was physically naked. He's drunk and laid out. But I also think it could have been a nakedness of his sin being exposed, you know, Adam and Eve tried to hide in the garden and cover their shame. And he saw this. And he saw, he knew what had happened. Okay? And I never thought about it that much, really. You know, what was the big deal? 
but he went and told his two brothers. And you know, when you really think about it, was there a need for Ham to go tell his two brothers? Could not he have done what they did? They took like a garment or a blanket or something, and they walked backwards not to make more of it than it was, and they covered their father. Now, did that forgive his sins? Did that? No. God would have to forgive his sins. Even the Pharisee says, who can forgive sins but God? We understand only the Lord. But it did cover that and didn't expose it and magnify it. And I think that's something we as people can do. We can do that out of love. Ham should have done it. He didn't have to go tell his brothers that. It was really none of their business. The sin was between Noah and God, right? David said against thee and thee, only have I sinned and done this wickedness in your sight. He realized it. And so Ham should have just done the same thing. Quietly let that just be between him and the Lord. Okay? And he goes and tells his brother. We, we tells his brothers, and we don't know a lot about what he said or anything, but they did the right thing. And when, the, when Noah wakes up, you know the story that he knew what had happened. God showed him, or maybe he was halfway awake when it happened. I don't know. And he said, Cursed be Ham. It was the Canaanites that came through Ham. That was the Canaanites that the Israelites possessed their land. All those different ites, right? With that worship the different gods. And anyway, I'm simply saying that because to me that's a good example of how can love cover a multitude of sins. And it's love that does that. It's love on the behalf of Japheth and Shem for their dad and for God. You see what I'm saying? That, that would cover that. And so um, men are constantly sinning against us. They're sinning against God and men are sinning against us. They're gossiping about us. They're, they're deceiving us and tricking us some way. Maybe they're stealing from something uh, from us. And, it does, and we have an opportunity to be God-like in this sense. I mean, it's a, it's a Christ-like character to cover. Their sin part is moral and is spiritually, and God will still have to de- deal with that part. You see what I'm saying? But it, we do have the ability to forgive them and if they've sinned against us, and to cover that and not to expose it and magnify it and make it worse. Would you want somebody to do that to you? Would you or I want somebody to magnify our sins? Have you ever lost it and totally acted ungodly and unchristian in some way since you've been saved? I have. Would you want that to be magnified and broadcast? Or would you want somebody to cover and say, brother, I'll pray with you if you're stressed out about something. You know what I mean? Uh, I understand. Go to God. He'll forgive you right now. And, and I forgive you. Isn't that much better? Love does that. Okay? I'll tell you what it doesn't do. What love does not do and what is not spoken up here in this verse is that we, we also all of a sudden check our spiritual judgment out of the door and we say they, they didn't really sin. That, that wasn't that bad. We don't play God in that sense. They've sinned. They've sinned. Noah was drunken. He was drunken. You don't pretend like he didn't sin. You just do what you can to help. Because what happens when, if you start to what I would call like whitewash their sin when the Lord hadn't dealt with them in their sin yet, that's not a good thing. You whitewash their sin when pretend like it'll go away when God sees it and it's still our sins separate us from, from the Lord, the Bible says, right? It has to be dealt with spiritually. So I want to say what it does mean and doesn't mean. We don't want to call evil good and good evil. We don't want to do that. God doesn't do it. 
So you understand the balance? What does love do? It's going to be biblical. It's going to be kind. It's going to be Christ-like, but it's not going to be compromising and, and call good evil and evil good. Uh, I read a quote here from uh, F.B. Meyer. He says, our, our moral sense, I would say our compass, or our judgment can become warped if we would do that. We would like we see somebody sin horribly. Let's say they're a believer, and we just pat them on the back and tell them everything's okay. That's not what God's called us to do either. Our own judgment can get clouded, right? We can forget what's wrong and right. He says to gloss over the faults of other men is often the first step to make in light of our own sin. I thought that was a good quote. You know, misery loves company. They've sinned, and oh, it's okay, it's okay, and that's because it makes me feel better about my own sin. That's not what this scripture is talking about, and so we're not required uh, or to to gloss over a man's sin. We're not required to even withhold judgment. There's times God would have us to speak, let's say, to another believer's life that has committed some kind of sin, and God makes us aware of it. We don't have to broadcast it. We don't have to publicize it. We don't have to humi- humiliate them and air their dirty laundry, so to speak. But there are times God would use us to speak into their lives, right? Ye that are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Brethren, if any man be overtaken in a fault, that word fault means a sin. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Ye that are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. So there has to be meekness there. And this is part of the love as well. And so, uh, again, to just whitewash over it, that's not really Christian love might be called love in a lot of Christian circles, but it's not love. And I can tell you there's nothing so powerful and strong as the love of God. The love of God's going to get involved and take the risk of being uh, hurt itself for you to get into somebody's life for you to, as God leads you, okay, to deal with them. You see a brother going astray. You see a brother uh, going off the wrong way, backsliding, and God makes you aware of it. And you say, well, the pastor will deal with that. Well, no, he showed you. But make sure you're ready, okay? Ready in the sense that you yourself are spiritual and mature and, and prayed up, as I say. You know, we'll put it and, and go in a spirit of meekness to resource, restore such a one. Again, another thing we can do, how does our love, the love of Christian love, cover a brother's sins? It would be, again, in forgiving. You know, when we get to heaven, we're not going to have the opportunity to forgive anymore. Have you ever thought about that? There'll be, there'll be no sin in heaven. No sin on anybody's part. Nobody will be sinning against, against us when we say, I forgive you. We won't be sinning against God or our brothers and have to say, would you forgive me? So we ought to exercise it while we can. Forgiveness is a godly trait. It is a godly trait. Be quick to forgive. Don't hold a grudge. Don't hold it over somebody and say, well, I've got like one step up on you and I'm going to hold this little like ace in the hole kind of thing I can pull out anytime. Don't do that. God doesn't do that. Be like the Lord. Be quick to forgive and they might offend you again and sin against you again. Cover it. Forgive them. Go on. Okay? Cover it and forgive them and go on. And so uh, we're to be imitators of the Lord in that sense. Also, how can love cover a multitude of sins? Keeping this in mind, okay? Uh, what we're talking about, if you are aware, now this I never thought of until I was studying this, 
another pastor brings it out. If you're aware of another brother's weakness, okay? Let's say uh, my friend Joe is a believer, and I'm a believer, and I know Joe is really struggling with self-control. He's really struggling with controlling his temper. He loves God in so many areas. He's a wonderful, godly man, but he really struggles with losing his temper. He really struggles with losing his temper with this specific topic comes up or this kind of thing. If I know that and I'm his Joe's friend, then I'm not going to push the buttons that would do that and just say, well, he should get over it. No, if I know it ahead of time, and that's just one of multitudes of examples we could use. This is how my love for him could help cover a multitude of sins. I'm going to help him avoid that as much as I can of falling into it. God's going to have to work in him. God's going to have to work to really produce that self-control, that temperance in his life. God will have to do it. He may use me to help him do it. All right, But I know that ahead of time and because I love him, I don't want to see him sin against the Lord and bring that hurt into his own soul and his own life or maybe shame himself in front of other people. So I know that ahead of time and I love him and I'm not going to I'm not going to try to expose that or get him to sin. That sounds kind of simple, but I think that's a great expression that, in a way that we can love people in that. Amen. Um, also, our love can cover a multitude of sins in the sense that uh, again, we're not excusing their sin, but we also might be able to build them up in some other way. And let's say uh, my friend Joe comes and he really does lose it. And everybody saw him. And they, when he leaves, they're like, can you believe he acted so rude and so unchristian, unchristlike?" And you could say, you don't have to <clears throat> excuse it, but you could say, you know, uh, that was wrong what he did, but I understand he's going through a lot at work right now. You know, and, he, and we need to pray for him. He's got a whole lot of pressures on him that you don't know about. Now, that's not excusing his sin, but that can help put him in a better light again and not drag him through the mud. Not excusing it, not whitewashing it. Sam, we need to pray for him. He's going through a lot right now. Okay? He's going through a lot right now. And so, uh, it's going to rebuke, love sometimes rebuke. The Bible says we rebuke, exhort, reprove with all long suffering and doctrine. True love does that. You'll know that. And we talked about that before in that series on the ministry of the Word. Remember, and one of the things that the Word of God does, it brings reproof and correction. Just like a parent disciplining their child. That's not always fun. It's not always pleasurable. Especially when you really have to get on your children. You don't enjoy it. As a parent, the kids sure don't enjoy it. But the Bible says in the long run, that's going to be for their benefit. Well, the same thing spiritually. <coughs> to be able to reprove someone tenderly, kindly. You know, the Bible says precious are the wounds of a friend. That's, that's actually a good thing. But a, a fool ref, refuses correction. They don't want it. You're not being loving to me. Well, maybe you're the one that loves them more than anybody on the planet if you're going to go to them and tell them some fault in their life and God has burdened your heart and maybe you've been praying for them for so long and they don't even know it and they just want you to get out of their face and you're really expressing the love of God to their lives. That's another way 
that uh, <clears throat> that love can cover the multitudes of sins. And we know in the First Corinthians thirteen that chapter about love, right? Love is not going to look for a fault. There's already faults in all of us, amen? Even as believers, there's things that God's working in our lives to make us more like Jesus. We don't excuse them. We don't whitewash them or pretend like they're not there. But the true love is not going to look for those faults. You know, I'm just going to let it... Sometimes somebody says a little... Somebody's a little rude to you. They're not a morning person, okay? And they're a Christian. And they were real curt to you or rude in the morning. You know what you can do? God will deal with them about it. Just let it go sometimes. I'm not saying let them go off into sin and, and backslide. I'm saying sometimes when the offense is against us, we can be quick to just not even let it offend us almost. We just are over it already. And let God pray for them. Let God deal with it. If God uses you in their life, then He'll use you in their lives to point that out. So those are some ways that uh, that God can, that this Scripture I think would apply. Okay, I'm glad I studied it because I thought about that scripture, and and uh, Dee has quoted that scripture before, and I've just never guess I really had a really good grasp of it or took the time to really understand what does it mean. It's also important to know what it doesn't mean. I don't go around because I'm so loving, forgiving everybody's sins. God has to do that, but I can be Christ-like and I can forgive them where they've offended me, and I can be like Shimon. Japheth and walk backwards and cover him up and not expose it. Amen? I think that's a great example with Noah. And so let's go on. And love affords uh, the opportunity for us to be hospitable. So let's look back in the Bible at 1 Peter. Use hospitality in verse 9. And this is all in context of above all things have fervent love. Alright? Use hospitality one to another without grudging. Grudging is simply murmuring. You know, one of the gifts of the, the Bible speaks of, I believe in Romans, we're going to read it here in a moment, is, is hospitality. That's actually a gift. Being hospitable. Someone comes and needs a place to stay, and you're, you're a real solitary, private person, and yet God says, you have, I gave you that big home for a reason. Open it up. Let somebody stay there with you. Well, I'm, I'm not like that. I'm very shy, and I'm private, and I like to you know, be by myself in my house or whatever. I need my me time and my downtime. Well, it's not forever, but God would have us to use um, what we have to be hospitable. If He gave you a big car and you can fit some more people in it, put some people in it. He can take that thing away from it if He wants to, amen? Or He can give you a bigger one. And I just think uh, that's something we learn. I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a child of Adam too in the sense that I want to hang on. I'm selfish and God has to show me and reveal those things to me. And so, but use hospitality without grudging. That simply means murmuring. Are you really being hospitable? Okay, you can stay in my house. You know, turn. The least you can do is help cut my grass while you're here. You know, and, and all this kind of stuff. And putting on a fake smile. That's, that's not really it. Ask God to help you. I'm talking that for me. Ask God to help me. And so, uh, so that that would truly be hospitable. Amen? The Bible talks about helping those or fixing a banquet, for example, to feed people that can't pay you back. They're not going to return the favor. They don't have any money. They're not going to invite you to their house. You gave a big banquet this year at Christmas and next year it's on you. No, he said, don't invite those kind of people only. Sometimes you reach out to people that are never going to pay you back. 
And the Bible says we need to be careful to entertain strangers because some have entertained angels unaware. Didn't even know it. Can you imagine? Can you think about your own life? The Bible actually says that. That you may have been kind to somebody and given them a coat off your back or given them some money or sat down said, what can I pray for you? Brought them to the doctor or whatever. And you find out in heaven maybe. Not till then. I was an angel and I was testing you. I was testing you. Or you walked by that angel and you didn't help him. You know what I'm saying? Um, but anyway, to be able to help those that can't recompense. They're not. Life is full of that kind of people too. That doesn't mean we're stupid. We just dump out our bank account on the street. That means as God leads us to. But be, have a bent towards doing it. You understand what I'm saying? Be bent and inclined to do it as opposed to inclined not to do it. Be ready to do it when God says yes and don't argue with them. I need this sermon, y'all. Okay? This is for me. And so... Uh, Love ministers, and that's one of the. And we're going to be bringing this on, but it says love, love is going to minister. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. And as every man hath received the gift, whatever that gift is that we receive from the Lord, you could plug in a lot of things there. Even so, minister the same one to another. Love is going to minister one to another. It's not just you and God in a vacuum, it's you and God on this earth with living people that rub you the wrong way in the church and lost people outside of the church and in your family and at work and complete strangers and then on the TV and everything else. And God wants us to minister. Specifically here, I believe the context is within the body of Christ. Okay? For, for loving the brothers and so forth. But... Uh, it says, if every man has received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And so, uh, love is going to minister. There's all different types of gifts and it's that God has given us. And you might not even think this is much of a gift at all, what you, what you have, okay? But whatever we have that's good, God has given us. And He expects us to use it to minister to the saints, to minister in His name, to minister for His glory. Don't be envious of the gifts that somebody else has. You know what I'm saying? Somebody can fix every... Somebody like Buck that can fix an engine, you know, or somebody like Alberto that can understand law, or somebody that... You know, don't... Or somebody with athletic ability, whatever. Don't be envious of those things. Be thankful that God bestowed that upon them. But whatever He's given you, use it for the glory of God. Amen? Use it for the glory of God. And remember that we're good stewards. That's an interesting word, right? We talk about it with finances. We talk about it with a lot of things. And it's applicable to all of those things. God has entrusted us with something. He's entrusted us with something. That means we're a steward. That we're not the owner. We're not the sovereign end-all owner. This is mine. You understand what I'm saying? Everything that we have, we are a steward of. Whether it's material things that we have, or whether it's gifts that we have. To sing, to preach, to teach, to love, to, uh, to offer a kind word. Whatever it may be. To counsel somebody. To be hospitable. To, uh, kindness. All that is a gift from the Lord that He's bestowed upon us. <coughs> I can look around this room and see people that 
that always have a, a way to make people, I'm at the point, I'm at the day link, okay? For example, somebody walks in and she, she's gonna make them feel very welcome. There's lots of people, you know, that have a similar gift. We have different gifts. We ought not take, uh, we ought not bury them, you know? It's like the, the man who, who went away on the long journey, you know, the parable of the, the, the talents, right? And one man that was unfaithful, he was given something, and we know the story, and he buried it, put it in a napkin and buried it in the backyard. And when this master came back, he just dusted it off and said, here it is. Well, it didn't do any good. It could have done some good. The other two guys got it. At the very least, I can get interest on this money and have something, what, to give back to the master when he gets here. I want to have something to give back to him. It wasn't a comparison of who had the most or the least or who did the most. It was what they did with what they had. To me, that's the context or the, the lesson to be learned from that parable. And so, um, it's not that you don't have a talent. I'm not saying talent like I can sing really good. It's not that people don't have gifts from the Lord. If you're not doing anything or if I'm not doing anything, it's that we're not using what we have for the Lord. I promise you, as every man has received the gift. It says every man. Every man has received the gift. So let him minister, right? Go dig up that talent, dust it off, and use it for God's glory. And we have to keep this in mind that we're going to be held accountable for it. A lost man will be accountable for his unbelief and his rejection for Christ when he dies in unbelief. He'll be held accountable for that. A saved man will be held accountable not for that, because we're in Jesus, will be held accountable for, among other things, did we use what God gave us? Did we use it for His glory? Did we use what He gave us or bestowed upon us or endowed us with fully and out of love and not grudgingly? Did we do that? We built, we built, will be held accountable. And so... Uh, I want to read this. If you would turn to your Bibles, keep your spot marked in 1 Peter and turn to Romans chapter 12. Let's just read uh, 3 through 8. Romans 12, 3 through 8. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Now he's speaking to believers, okay? But to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man his measure, the measure of faith. Faith is a gift as well. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts, he's not saying we, everybody's got them, okay? Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministry. Or he that teacheth on teaching. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. We'll just stop right there. That's a good passage. It's just talking about the gifts that we've been given, how we're to use them for the glory of God. It doesn't really matter 
if my neighbor thinks I should be doing this or doing that. We need to do what God's led us to do, what He's endowed us with. And the main thing is that we're right with God on that. Okay? He's the one we're going to give account to. And the main thing is that we're doing it for His glory. Okay? And we do it by the manifold grace of God. He says the manifold grace of God. Manifold just simply means it's many faceted. It's like light shining through a prism and it goes out in different colors. Okay? And every one of us might express God's grace. Not just saving grace, but just the graces of God upon our life a little bit differently than than the people around us, okay? And God would have us to to do that in the manifold grace of God as good stewards of that. In every case, though, y'all, the motive should be the same. And we're going to close with it. The motive should be in our service, our ministry uh, to one another should be for the glory of God. (laughs) Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all to the glory of God. It has to be. You cannot do it for your own glory. If you do it for your own glory, it's, it's, you're going to be sadly, sadly, rudely awakened one day. Because it's not going to count for anything. I'm saying you're not born again. Saying your service, you did it for the praise of men and to be well liked, to be well thought of, to be thought of highly, even within the body of Christ. And... It has to be for the glory of God. That has to be our passion. This is for the Lord. This is for the Lord. Because you'll learn, if you haven't learned already, and I'm learning, you're going to be really disappointed. If if I'm going through life to minister, hoping that people will notice or do equally as nice to me, in other words, I'll minister a bunch and they'll minister a bunch back to me, you better get that out of your mind right now. Just go and minister. Just go and minister for the Lord. And whether the thanks comes back to you, God is going to reward you for it. It's not going. I love the Scripture in Hebrews 6. God is not unrighteous to forget your labor of love and that you have ministered and do minister to the saints. God's not forgetting. But if you say, I'm going to really start ministering because I want to be ministered to a lot by the same people I'm ministering to, you're going to be disappointed. It may come from left field. You might pour out, pour out, pour out, and the people you thought, well, they're in a position now to help me, and they're not. And God is going to send it from somewhere else. Okay? I promise you He's going to take care of you and me if we'll, if we'll put Him first in that. And so, uh, if we work for any other motive, it's going to be a disappointment. So what do we need? We need to pray, don't we? Because my heart's not perfectly pure. We need to pray that a heart would be pure in that, and that God would help us and show me and expose what's not, you know, so that my motive is right when I go to serve. And I want to serve. I want to serve God. There's no doubt that the Word of God tells His people to serve. And the gifts and the graces and the endowments come from the Lord and that flow back from us back to Him. Hitting people on the way. You know what I mean? Hitting and blessing other people on the way. It comes from the Lord. It is to return back to the Lord for His glory. I want to close with this. Uh, it's a true story. There was a man that lived in Boston, Massachusetts. He was a believer. And he says, I can't preach. I don't speak well. can't speak at the prayer meetings. He says, there's something I can do though. 
The Lord put something on his heart. I'm going to set two. I might have shared this before. I can set two extra dinner plates every Sunday in my home at church after church, and I can invite two young men that are in town or visitors to church or whatever to eat. I can do that. Can't preach or teach or speak at the prayer meetings. And he started doing this, and he did it for 30 years. And he went on to be with the Lord. Well, it was it was the news spread of this man's death. And his funeral was actually going to be about 30 miles away in Andover, Massachusetts. And so a special train was... Uh, one whole car on the train was booked just for his people, okay? They were going to go. And the way it would, that people were invited was anybody that knew this man and he had this affected your life for Christ. This boxcar is for y'all to get on. 150 men. It's amazing. 150 men got on that boxcar that had gotten saved because of this man. No gifts, right? No talents. But he was hospitable. He did that for the Lord. And, and uh, 150 men got on that one boxcar to go because this man had led him to the Lord. And what a waste. What a waste I've wasted of what I do have and not use it for the glory of God. It just shows what can be accomplished when we surrender everything to the Lord and are given a hospitality and will use what we have for the glory of God. We can do that, can't we? We can take what we do have. Can you offer a kind word? Can you give a cup of cold water to somebody who's hot in Jesus' name? Tell them about the Lord and the living water that He can give them? You understand? We can do that. And God would have us to do that. So the altars are open, y'all. I just want us to, to take that time. To, this is a wonderful uh, message tonight. It's a simple message. But I pray that it would change us. I pray that it would change me. I'm not going to lie to you that the Lord would use that in His Word in my life. And so would you just take your time at the altar, find your place to meet with the Lord.